Amen. There's been such a wonderful presence of the Lord in this place all day long. And I know that God's not done yet. We're still here. And the preacher's getting ready to come. We are so delighted tonight to have Brother Tess Stewart back in service with us. Amen. Brother Stewart, come at this time. Bring the word of the Lord to us. Amen. God bless you. Praise the Lord, everybody. So great to be back in the house of God. So great to see faces that are becoming familiar faces, people I consider to be friends. And most importantly, it's great to feel the presence of God. Because ultimately, nothing else matters. We come to the house of God. It's great to see our brothers. Great to see the people we've developed relationships with. But if God doesn't show up, nothing matters. I'm excited. I'm glad that God is here. I'm glad that I can feel the manifest presence of God in this house today. Because that means that anything can happen. Anything can take place. Any situation can be turned around. Any answer can be received. Anybody can get the lifting that they need. Anybody can get the clarity that their heart desires. Anybody can get whatever they need because God is here. God is here. God is here. I feel him. I feel him here. I do want to give honor to Pastor and Sister Hughes, the leadership here, this great church, and it was a pleasant surprise to see my good friend, uh, Brother Mike Dixon there in the back, and I'm sure you can't miss him. The tallest just about the tallest one. He's got someone back there giving him run for his money a little bit. But it was great to see him, a great minister of the gospel, and it's just great to, great to see him. I, I want to go the direction that I feel in the Holy Ghost here today. I feel led to preach something that I first preached to myself some time ago because I just feel like God wants to do a work of peace in this house today. I don't know what you might be facing. I don't know what circumstances, situations might be going on, but... I just feel like God wants to baptize somebody with the tangible peace of God. If you have your Bibles, I'll be reading from John chapter 14, verse 27. And in this passage of scripture in John chapter 14, Jesus is discussing with his disciples the Holy Ghost, the comforter that will be sent. And he's talking about the reasons that the comforter will be sent. And before I read this, I always like to remind us that whenever we see something like this, that whatever the Holy Ghost was meant to do back then is still meant to do today. And every bit of power and ability the Holy Ghost was meant to unlock in the lives of believers back then, it's still meant to do today. And I want us to read John chapter 14, 27 and receive this not just as a historical statement, not just as Jesus speaking to those disciples on that day, but somebody needs to receive this and understand he's still speaking to you today in Webster, Texas, in your situation and in your circumstance. And this is what the Bible says. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Peace I leave with you. The Bible says that we are to be wary of the wiles of the enemy. That means we are to be alert. We are to be cognizant as to what the enemy is trying to do in our lives and how the enemy is trying to attack. And I've come to realize that this very real peace that God intends his people to have is under attack, constant attack in our day and time. And I want to preach here for the next few minutes on that simple subject. I want to preach simply the war on peace. 
the war on peace. That's what's happening in our world. That's what's happening in our households. That's what's happening in our churches. That's what's happening in our minds. There is an all-out attack on the peace of God, but it's my prayer that by the time somebody leaves here, that your understanding is open and that you will leave here with the peace of God resting and ruling and reigning in your life the way God intends for peace to rule in your life. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for your anointing. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your presence that we feel in this house. I ask you now, God, for these next few minutes, anoint my mind. Give me your words to speak to the hearts and minds of your people. God, let this word be a living word that will take root in our hearts and in our minds and produce life in the days and the weeks and the months to come. In the name of Jesus, we bind every spiritual hindrance. We bind every spiritual obstacle. God, loose your anointing. Loose your power. Where your spirit is, there is victory. Where your spirit is, there are breakthroughs. Where your spirit is, there are liftings. God, baptize us. Saturate this house, God, with your anointing. With your anointing and your presence. We'll be careful to give your name the praise. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated. I may not be as old as some, but and no doubt I'm older than many here. But the older I get and the more people I meet, uh, the more I interact with people, I'm more and more convinced that there's something on the inside of every last person that desperately looks for a place of peace. I believe that's something that God has placed in us, that there is some part of us that searches for a place of peace. And many times you can't tell by looking at the outside or looking at someone's life circumstances where they might be on this journey towards peace. And many times I believe we're a little bit thrown off because we tend to look at what's happening in people's lives and we tend to try to gauge where they are mentally based on what we see around them. But but I've been around long enough to know that you can go to some of the finest neighborhoods and no doubt in this part of the greater Houston area you've got so many fine neighborhoods and you've got people living lavish lifestyles. But I've been around long enough to know that you can go and talk to people who have more money than they could ever spend. They've got more cars than they could ever drive, more square footage than they could possibly live in. But there's something on the inside of them that's looking for more, that there is a hole on the inside of their life. And if they're honest with you, they'll tell you that they don't have peace of mind and peace of spirit. I've also counseled, I used to counsel in substance abuse facilities, and, and I've counseled homeless and a number of people that, that struggle with so many different things. And what I've learned is that even when you go to some of the down and out places and you find people bound by drugs and alcohol, but at the root of that addiction many times is a search for peace, that they're looking for something to quiet the voices on the inside. They're looking for stillness. They're looking for wholeness. I believe there's something on the inside of each of us that makes us look for a place of peace. But it's unfortunate in this day and time that so many churches have quit talking about peace. The Bible says that in the end times, there'll be a great cry for peace and safety. The indication here is that that will be what's sorely lacking in the world at the end time, that the peace and safety and security that people desire will be lacking. And I believe that we can just look around our own nation and we can see this manifested, that there were institutions that people used to be able to lean on for their sense of security, that people thought they had things figured out and they thought that they had rocks that would never move and they thought they had some foundations that they could build their lives on. And now they 
look around and those institutions are crumbling all around them and those things that they thought were unshakable are shaking and breaking beneath them. I haven't come to discourage anybody because of what's happening in the world, but I've come to tell you that if there was ever a time for the church to stand up and say we found a place of peace, that time is now. If there was ever a time for the church to stand up and say we found a rock that will not move, we found an unshakable one that you can lean on, we found a God that will never leave you and never forsake you, that time is now because the world needs to hear the world needs to hear this message. The hunt, the search for peace and safety is so powerful that now there are entire religions with millions of followers worldwide. And their only message is a message of peace and tranquility. They don't talk about life after death. They don't talk about heaven or hell. Their only message is we have found a way where you can get some peace and tranquility in your life. If you'll do these exercises, if you'll repeat these things, if you'll, if you'll do these incantations or whatever, and whatever the people tell them to do, the people would try it all over. They spend millions of dollars because there's something on the inside of people that make them look for peace and security. I begin to study the anxiety that we have, the, what things attack our minds and attack our peace. And this is what sociologists say. They say that 40% of our anxiety is generally focused on things in the future that never will happen. But 40% of our anxiety is focused on what might take place, what could go wrong. And these things never even happen. They say another 30% of what we worry about are things in the past that we can't do anything about anyway. Mistakes that we've already made, things we wish we hadn't have done, things we wish we had done, relationships we wish we hadn't have been in, or, or so many things. We look in the rearview mirror and they say 30% of our anxiety is focused on things in the past that we can't do anything about anyway. They say another 12% of what we worry about are the criticisms of, of other people, what other people say or think about us. And most of what they even say or think are not true. But 12% of what we worry about are what other people might say or think about us. They say another 10% of what we worry about is our health. But the irony here is that worrying about our health actually makes our health worse. But I, I've been there where you, you feel something, you sense something, you go to Dr. Google or WebMD, and it, it never, once you start down that rabbit trail, it never ends well. It's always something terminal, always something fatal. You've always got months to live. But, but they say that 10% of what we worry about is our health, and our health gets worse with the worry. You add this up, that's 92% of our anxiety. Things in the future that won't even happen. Things in the past that we can't do anything about. What other people say or think about us and our health. That's 92% of our anxiety. And that leaves only 8% of our strengths and our energies to deal with the very real issues that we have to face in life. But, but it just seems that every bit of news that we hear is designed to make us concerned about something. You can't hear any news without hearing something bad about crime or some new disease that they found or bad news about the weather, bad news about finances, war, terrorism, violence against our children, violence in our workplace, social unrest, social unease. It's, it's just so many voices that are bombarding us. And not only will they talk about things that are happening today that we should be worried about today, but then some 
someone else will come on and prognosticate about how bad things might get tomorrow. They talk about gas prices today, but then somebody else will say it might double. Or they talk about wars today, or somebody else might come on and prognosticate about potential wars or future wars. I'm, I'm trying to lay a foundation here. All of these voices that are speaking into our minds and speaking into our spirit, this cacophony of voices and the whirlwind that we live in. And you add to all these voices, you add all the personal issues that you and I have to deal with. Bad news in our own families, bad news in our own health, or bad news in our own personal finances, bad news in our own relationships. And you end up with this environment where the minds of the people of God are under constant attack. That's the foundation I'm trying to lay here, that the Bible talks about the signs of the end time, but you've got to remind yourself how many of the signs of the end time are mental in nature. It's not just wars, but it's rumors of war. That's mental. The Bible talks about deception in the last days. That's mental. False teachings. That's mental. Uh, rumors and offenses and hate and fear and stress and love waxing cold. These are mental attacks. I want to establish in somebody's mind there's a very definite attack against the minds of the children of God. The things that you're dealing with are not just happenstance. They're not just random, but there is an attack against our minds. You see, the Bible doesn't sugarcoat the nature of our walks. The Bible lets us know in no uncertain terms that we're in a battle. We have a very real enemy, and we're in a fight. We're in a battle. But what I'm preaching here today is that this battle is in the mind, and this battle is for the mind. This battle takes place in the mind, and what you're fighting for is control of your mind. And the enemy would like nothing more than to get you as a child of God to the place where the circumstances and the situations around you begin to affect your mind, begin to control your mind, and begins to make your mind just another victim of your circumstances and your situations. Because the devil knows us well enough to know that it's human nature to allow what's happening on the outside to find its way on the inside. Let me let you in on a little secret this evening. What's happening on the inside of you is out of the reach of the enemy. The enemy has absolutely no control over what you think. The enemy has no say-so as far as what you believe. What you, what's happening on the inside is off reach. It's out of limits. The enemy cannot affect what's happening on the inside of you. But the enemy understands us well enough to know that if he can begin to affect the things around us, it's in our nature to allow what's happening on the outside to find its way on the inside. It's no coincidence that when the enemy recognized, I can't make Job change his mind. I can't make Job turn his back on God. But maybe if I touch his finances, maybe if I touch his family, maybe if I touch the things around him, then Job will go behind the hedge and Job will destroy the things that are off limits to me. But I've come to preach a defiance into somebody's spirit where you'll make up your mind. I refuse to do what the enemy cannot do. I refuse to throw in the towel. I refuse to go behind the hedge and allow what's happening on the outside to find its way on the inside. But I'm going to make up my mind. As for me and my house, I will be faithful to God. My God, what's happening on the inside of you is off limits to the enemy. That's why the Bible says that you have to guard your heart 
and guard your mind. I don't believe that's something the Holy Ghost would do for you instinctively, that you have to make up your mind that what's happening on the outside is not going to dictate what's happening on the inside. And that brings us to the principle of peace. You've got to know what peace is. When the Bible talks about peace, let me first tell you what peace is not. Peace is not a feeling. Peace is not an emotion. Peace is not a thought or an idea. But peace is a condition. Peace is a state of being. You see, by definition, peace is simply freedom from disturbance and strife. Hear what I'm saying. It's not a thought. It's not an idea. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's a real condition whereby there is freedom from disturbance and strife. And so personal peace is very simply a lack of disturbance on the inside. My God, somebody needs to hear what I'm preaching today. Personal peace is the lack of disturbance on the inside. The peace that God gives me is the ability to be surrounded by darkness on the outside, but somehow have a light shining on the inside. Peace is the God-given ability to be surrounded by chaos and confusion on the outside, but have a clarity on the inside. Peace is the ability to be surrounded by rocky ground on the outside, but to somehow have a blessed assurance on the inside. Peace is the ability to be surrounded by a dry place on the outside, but somehow got a well of living water on the inside. Peace is the ability for me to tell you, you can't quite tell what's happening in my mind and what's happening in my spirit by looking at my circumstances. You can't look at what's happening around me and tell what I'm thinking and tell what I'm feeling because God has given me the ability to have something on the inside that's disconnected from the outside. My God, he out of God. My God, what's happening on the outside does not dictate what's happening on the inside. What's happening in my tabernacle, what's happening in my temple is not dependent on what's happening around me. But God has given me the ability to be a man of peace. God has given me the ability to rise above my circumstances, rise above my situations. My God, somebody's going to get the peace of God in this house today. Somebody's going to get the peace of God in this house. When I think about peace, I think about these hurricanes and these tropical winds and things we get here in the Houston area and how sometimes you get that wind whipping 70, 80 miles an hour, rain blowing almost horizontal, wind whipping through trees and branches breaking off and wreaking all kind of havoc. But there's something, Pastor, but when you come through a storm like that and you, you make it home, run to your front door and close that door behind you. That silence when you get in your house and close that door, coming out of that rain, coming out of the howling wind. There's something almost supernatural about that silence in contrast to what's happening outside. That's what I'm preaching here to somebody. That's what the peace of God is. The ability to say, as for me in my house, in my tabernacle, there might be wind outside. There might be rain outside. There might be chaos and confusion and darkness on the outside. But in my tabernacle, the peace of God will rest and rule and reign. In my tabernacle, there will be a blessed stillness. In my tabernacle, Tabernacle, there will not be chaos and confusion. 
Sometimes we've got to remind ourselves that peace is the fruit of the Spirit. That means that the peace of God comes not because of what's happening on the outside, but the peace of God comes from what's happening on the inside. That's why we can talk about peace in the midst of a storm. That's why Philippians calls it the peace of God, which passes all understanding. That means it's a peace that exists when common sense and human logic says there's no reason for peace to exist. That when everybody else looks at my situation and says you ought to be just about ready to throw in the towel, it's a peace that exists when it doesn't make sense for peace to exist. And that scripture goes on and says that that kind of peace, the peace that passes all understanding, will keep your mind and keep your spirit through Jesus Christ. See, but the enemy... He knows the importance of peace, and he knows what happens when the saints of God operate in the peace of God, and that's why he fights it so hard. That's why he'll do everything in his power to try to shake situations, destroy the peace of God in your life. The Bible says our adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The lion roars to create panic. The lion roars to destroy peace. The lion roars to make animals begin to feel vulnerable, to make animals begin to panic. And the thing about the roar of the lion, I always like to remind people, the thing about the roar of the lion is that that roar can be heard up to five miles away. And so what that means in very real terms is that there are animals who are too far away from the lion to be in actual jeopardy. At five miles away, they're not close enough to the lion for the lion to actually attack them, but they are close enough to hear that roar and be affected by that roar. And so animals that are outside the actual reach of the lion are still affected because they hear the roar of the lion. But somebody needs to learn how to, do, how to make up your mind, understand, just because I can hear the enemy roar, it doesn't mean I'm vulnerable. Just because I can hear the enemy roar, it doesn't mean I'm in any jeopardy. I might be able to hear him roar, but the name of the Lord is still a strong tower that the righteous run in and they are safe. I might be able to hear him roar, but when the enemy comes in like a flood, God will still raise up a standard against him. I refuse to surrender my peace to the roar of the enemy. But too many of us are trying to walk this walk without the peace of God. I believe that we cannot operate in our anointing and be what God wants us to be without the peace of God. We can't be what the New Testament church is meant to be without the peace of God. I don't know why so many churches have quit preaching about peace because peace is such a central part of the gospel. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of good and out of evil to give you an expected end. Thoughts of peace and out of evil to give you an expected end. And so many places in the Bible, uh, the, the, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. And God is called a God of Peace. And the Bible talks about Jesus uh, preaching peace and calling us to peace. And how many times did Jesus tell people to go in peace? And Second Thessalonians talks about the Lord of Peace himself, giving us peace always, by all means. So many verses that tells us that we should have the peace of God in our life. But yet and still, we somehow manage to get to the point where so many people are facing life's challenges, even in the house of God without the peace of God. I don't claim to understand exactly why that happened, but I believe I understand part of the problem because Ephesians 6.15 calls the gospel, the very gospel, it calls it the gospel of peace. 
and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's what it calls the entire gospel, the gospel of peace. And I wonder what would happen in our country if so many churches would quit preaching the gospel of prosperity and get back to preaching the gospel of peace. You want to know the message your world will respond to. You want to know the message your family will respond to. You want to know the message that your communities will respond to. It's when a church begins to preach a message of peace. A church begins to say, I have found a way where in this dark and cold and dirty world, you can have the peace of God. You can have a lack of disturbance on the inside. You can have a stillness and an assurance on the inside. But I believe that if I were to stop preaching here, I believe it would be a somewhat incomplete message. I don't believe it's enough to tell you that God wants you to have peace and then tell you what peace is, but not give you any practical application. I'm a practical preacher. I believe that whatever I say, it, it can't just be theoretical. I've got to somehow find a way to give you a way to apply this to your life. And, and perhaps there's someone here who's facing one of the dark times in your life that we all face. Perhaps there's someone here facing a trial that you don't quite understand. And I have to wonder what I could tell someone in that position to help them face their trials with the peace of God in your life. Begin to study this. Begin to pray, God, I've got to find a way. What can I tell someone to do? If they need the peace, I mean, what can I tell them to do right now if they need the peace of God in their lives? And this is what I believe God has given me in prayer and study and actually looking at my own life. What I've learned in that process is that one of the most effective ways to make sure you've got the peace of God in your life when you're facing a dark time is to simply review your testimony. Let me explain what I'm talking about here. First of all, we lose our peace whenever we become overcome or overwhelmed by life circumstances. And so I've got to learn how, instead of being overcome or overwhelmed by life circumstances, I've got to learn how to overcome the circumstances in life. And the Bible talks about us overcoming by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. But I begin to understand this is not just theory, but this is something that I've experienced in my life so many times. Because when that came to me, I began to reflect back on my life, how in so many circumstances I was in a place I didn't quite understand. So many times in my life, I was in a situation I didn't see my way out of. So many times in my life, I was facing a circumstance I didn't see how God was going to work it out for my good. I didn't see how all the promises of Scripture was going to come true in my life in this circumstance. It looked to be a hopeless case. It looked to be something that was beyond anything positive coming out of it. But I would remember in those circumstances, if I would just think back to the last time I thought I was going down for the last time. If I could just think back to the last time I was in a situation I couldn't see my way out of. If I would just think back to the last time I thought I was at the end of my rope. If I would just think back to the last time I thought there was no way God could turn it around. But somehow in those 
those situations, God found a way out of no way. In those situations, God made the impossible possible. In those situations, God was able to bring me through. There are some things that God brought me through that to this day, I can't explain how it worked out. My soul looks back and wonders, but if I would look back and remind myself of the things that God has already brought me through, what would happen after a while is that something will well up on the inside of me that says the same God that brought me through yesterday, the same God that worked it out yesterday, the same God that made a way out of nowhere yesterday is still God and he's still on the throne and this too shall pass. This too shall be turned around. This too shall work together for my good. If I would just think back to the last time, my God, I wish I had time to tell you about circumstances I didn't see any way out of, but somehow God was able to bring me through. If I just remind myself, review my testimony, nobody knows like I know what God has brought me through. Nobody knows like I know what God has worked out for my good. And if I would just remind myself of what God has already done, a confidence begins to build in my spirit. My God, thinking about David and Goliath, David was facing the biggest giant he had ever faced on the biggest stage he had ever been on, facing his biggest challenge, facing it in front of all the armies of Israel. Never been in a situation like this. The Bible says that every morning Goliath would come out into that valley. He'd be the biggest thing in that valley, and his voice would fill that valley. He would defile God. Hear me when I say the enemy has a job to do. In your Goliath situation, I don't know what you might be facing, but in your situations, the enemy has a job to do, and he does his job well. It's the enemy's job to make sure that your Goliath is the biggest, loudest thing in your valley. It's the enemy's job to make sure that you can't wake up in the morning without hearing your Goliath, without seeing your Goliath. That's what the enemy's job is. He wants to make sure that he keeps Goliath ever before you. And the enemy does that job well. Goliath can weigh on you. You take Goliath with you everywhere you go. You can't miss Goliath. You can't see around Goliath. It's the enemy's job to make Goliath as big and as loud as possible. But I'm preaching here today that you've got a job to do as well. Because when David came and he came to that Goliath situation... I love the fact that David didn't just come to the battlefield and grab the weaponry that Saul gave him and run out there and try to fight the giant, fight a battle he had never fought before. He didn't try to face the biggest uh, uh, obstacle he had ever faced just running out there and facing it. But David took a few minutes and did exactly what I'm preaching here today. Before David faced Goliath, David had a quick testimony service. David said, one day I was watching my father's sheep and a lion came and attacked my father's sheep and I know good and well I don't have any means within myself of defeating a lion but somehow some way Jehovah God gave me victory over that lion and I've got another testimony on another day I was watching my father's sheep and a bear came and attacked my father's sheep and I know I don't have any business defeating a bear but somehow some way Jehovah God gave me victory over that bear and now that I've reminded myself of who my God has already been 
mind. Now that I reminded myself of what God has already brought me through. Now that I reminded myself of the victories that God has already wrought. Now that I reminded myself of how God has proven himself to me time after time after time again. I've got the confidence to say that the same God that gave me victory yesterday, the same God that worked it out yesterday, the same God that brought me through yesterday will give me the victory today. My God, there's somebody facing a Goliath situation. You need to take a few minutes and remind yourself, this is not your first battle. This is not your first test. This is not your first dark place. This is not your first wilderness. Come on, old soldier. The same God that worked it out yesterday is still God. He's still in control. You ought to review your testimony. You ought to review your testimony. You ought to review your testimony. That's how you get the peace of God. That's how you get the peace of God. You remind yourself. You see what happens when you do that in the, facing Goliath. It's not ignoring Goliath. It's not ignoring. It's not running away from the fight. But once you look at Goliath, and you've got to say, Goliath, I see you. And I'm going to deal with you. I'm not avoiding. I'm going to deal with you, Goliath. But before I engage you, I'm just going to take a few minutes. Yes, you're tall. Yes, you're big. But before I engage you, I'm going to take a few minutes and I'm going to look above you. I'm going to look to the hills from which cometh my help. I'm going to look to the heavens and I'm going to remind myself of the God I serve and just how big and powerful my God is. And what that does, it puts Goliath in perspective. It puts Goliath in perspective. Because after you do that, where everybody else still sees a giant, all you now see is an uncircumcised Philistine. Who is this? My God. Who? Now that I reminded myself of who my God is, who does this giant think he is? He, who does this giant think? I'm not intimidated. I'm not afraid of the darkness. Who shall I fear if God before me? I've reminded myself that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I've reminded myself that my God is greater. When you review your testimony, it does something to your mind, it makes you consider God, it makes you consider his goodness, it makes you consider his faithfulness. It's a conscious decision to consider God before you consider your problem. I've heard my entire life that talking to you is a sign that you're talking to yourself is a sign that you are probably going crazy. The older I get, the more I realize that sometimes you got to talk to yourself to keep from going crazy. My God, sometimes you got to take a look in the mirror and say, wait a minute, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? What's going on in your mind? You know what God has brought you through. You know what God has worked out. You know, if nobody knows your testimony, you know the impossible situations that God has worked out for your good. You know what God has already done. You got to talk to yourself. Don't run out there and try to fight your giant with your mouth closed. Or you're overcome by the blood of the lamb. By the word of our testimony, testify all the way to Goliath. My God, talk to yourself. Remind you, there's somebody in the Goliath situation here now. There's somebody with something weighing on your back, weighing on your shoulder. You can barely sleep. You, can, you need to remind yourself all the way home tonight. Remind yourself of what God has already done. Remind yourself of the faithfulness of God. Remind yourself of the consistency of God. Remind yourself of every time God has picked you up and put you back where you need to be. You need the peace of God in your life. And once you do get the peace of God in your life, I believe it then becomes 
your responsibility, my responsibility to hold on to that peace of God and to refuse to surrender that peace to every situation. I know what the Bible means when the Bible says, hold your peace. I know it's a phrase in the Bible talks about holding your tongue and keeping quiet. You hold your peace, you keep quiet. But in my life, a few years ago, I decided that when I say I'm holding my peace, I decided I'm going to be, a, I mean, a little bit more aggressively. That In my mind, when I say I'm holding my peace, I mean that I've got a bulldog grip on my peace. I've got my peace. I've got both hands wrapped around my peace, and I refuse to surrender my peace. I had to get to the point, Pastor, where I said, you might be able to get on my nerves, but you won't get my peace. You might be able to get on my last nerve, but you will not get my peace. It took me too long to get to a place of peace. I had to go through too many things to get to a place of peace. I had to go through too much betrayal and, and too many storms and tests to get to a place of peace. And now I refuse to surrender my peace every time the wind blows. I refuse to surrender my peace every time the enemy acts up. You can't have my peace. Sometimes you have to learn how to get to a place of peace. And determine that like a tree planted by the waters, I shall not be moved. My strength comes from a place far below the surface. That's where my peace comes from. That's where my stability comes from. And so what happens on the surface will not break me. It will not make me. I'm thankful for the times of plenty. I'm thankful when my leaves flourish, but even if I don't have any leaves, even if there is no rain, even if there is no sunshine, even if the situations, you might cut away at my branches and so many things might happen above the surface. But because of what's happening below the surface, what happens on the surface will not move me. It will not shake me. It will not break me. Seasons might come. Seasons might go. There might be drain, rain or there might be drought. There might be daylight or there might be darkness. I might have my leaves stripped away from me and cut away, but none of this is going to uproot me. I'm thankful for the times of rain. I'm thankful for the times of plenty, but I don't depend on the rain for my peace because even if the rain should stop or if the sun should refuse to shine in my life or if the storms don't seize, if the winds don't stop blowing, my soul is anchored in Jesus Christ. I'm thankful I've got a little bit of money in my pocket. I'm thankful for my family and friends. I'm thankful that I'm in relatively good health, but that's not where my peace comes from, but my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. It's on Christ, the solid rock I stand, and all of the ground is sinking sand. Somebody needs to shake yourself tonight. Somebody needs to shake yourself and understand you were meant to walk in peace. You were meant to live in peace, and if you've got the Holy Ghost, you're equipped to live with the peace of God, with the lack of disturbance on the inside my God don't know what your circumstance might be don't know what your situation might be but it's time to grab a hold of your peace and make a declaration to yourself to the devil to anybody else I refuse to surrender my peace my God God has given me the ability to have a lack of disturbance on the inside. God has given me the ability to have blessed assurance on the inside, even before my situations resolve themselves. And I refuse to walk beneath the peace of God. In closing tonight, I'm reminded of the disciples on a boat. I want to tell you that 
I know how the enemy operates. And one thing the enemy's doing here even now, he's speaking to somebody now. And what he's saying is, yeah, what he's saying sounds good in theory. And hypothetically, that might be, might be good. Philosophically, that might make sense. But that preacher doesn't know your circumstance. That preacher doesn't know your situation. And the enemy would have you convinced that in your circumstance, peace is not possible. That peace is not possible. Come to tell you that peace is possible today. The disciples found themselves on a boat, on a ship, and they ran into a storm. And even with Jesus on board, they began to sink in that ship. It's amazing, but even with Jesus on board, they began to sink. And those disciples began to do everything in their power to save their ship. Because common sense says, if I'm going to survive this storm, my only hope is in this ship. And I've got to do everything. I've got to do everything in my power to save this ship. It's my only hope. If the ship sinks, all is lost. And they do everything in their power to try to save that ship. And no matter what they tried, their ship continued to sink. Finally, they got desperate enough. They got desperate enough to wake Jesus up. But let me tell you that when they woke Jesus up, they didn't wake Jesus up to speak to the wind and the waves. They didn't wake Jesus up to calm the storm. Because when Jesus got up and spoke to the storm, when Jesus said, peace be still, they were surprised. So what matter of man is this? That even the winds and the seas obey. That's not what they were expecting. They didn't wake Jesus up to speak to the storm. They woke Jesus up because they needed all hands on deck, to be frank with you. I know you're the great Messiah. I know you're the great teacher. You do great things. But we need you to grab a bucket today because the ship is sinking. We need you, Jesus. Jesus, I need you to help me save my ship. Jesus, my ship is sinking, and I need you to help me save my ship because my ship is my only hope. And they made the mistake that you and I make so many times in our storms in that they were trying to make Jesus the captain of their ship, and they failed to understand he's actually the captain of the seas. By God. They didn't realize who they had with them. And they were trying to make them him the captain of their ship. Help me save my boat. That's my only hope. And they didn't realize he is not the captain of your ship. He is the captain of the seas. And one word of peace from the Almighty God. I don't care what the enemy says. I don't care how impossible peace might seem. I don't care how the winds might be howling now. I don't care how the waves might be crashing and breaking and rolling now. One word from the almighty God and peace, my God. Peace is, I've come to stand against that whisper of the enemy that peace is not possible. Hear me when I say that peace is possible and the prince of peace is here now and he's speaking peace into somebody's circumstance before the situation resolves itself, before everything gets worked out, 
before everything gets figured out. The Prince of Peace is here. The Captain of the Seas is here. And he's here to speak peace into somebody's mind. He's here to speak peace into somebody's spirit. He's here to put a blessed assurance into somebody's heart. He's here to give somebody a lack of disturbance on the inside. Can we stand all over this building? I feel peace in this house today. I feel peace in this house today. I feel peace in this house today. I don't know what might be happening in your house. What might be happening in your life. What might be happening in your circumstance. But I know that winds and waves and things are crashing. Things are breaking all around us. I believe we ought to just take a few minutes right now and allow the Prince of Peace to do what only the Prince of Peace can do. I believe we ought to take a few minutes right now and allow the God of heaven to give us a blessed assurance on the inside. We ought to take a few minutes right now and allow God to give us a lack of disturbance on the inside. Somebody needs an encounter with the peace of God. If that's your prayer, if that's your heart's cry, why don't you make your way down to these altars right now? Don't hesitate. Don't hold back. Don't think about it. If you feel a draw, if you feel a draw in your spirit, why don't you make your way down? here, grab the horns of the altar and allow the peace of God to move in your life. Yes, God. Yes, God. Come on. He's here to do a work of peace. He's here to do a work of peace. He's here to say, peace be still.